This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. You guys know on Table Talk Radio, we do all the time the praise song cruncher, where we look at the we look at the words and the theology behind a lot of popular contemporary Christian music. And and one of the things we're looking for is mysticism. We have this thesis that uh, that there is a, a a rabid mysticism in contemporary worship, but we want to track that down. So what we've started doing is interviewing those praise song writers who have written songs that stand now in the CCLI top 20, we, and we're talking with them about about how they write their music, what the role of a worship leader is, how they understand worship altogether to to confirm or to deny this thesis that we have. So you'll hear following this a Table Scraps episode in which I interview a particular praise song writer uh, and ask them these questions. We hope you enjoy this series of conversations, and um, and after we get a number of them done, we'll be putting we'll be putting our conclusions together in a more formal way. Thanks for listening to Table Scraps. Welcome to Table Scraps with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and I am joined on the line by Jenny Lee Riddle. Uh, she is a praise and worship songwriter and worship leader. She, her most uh, popular song, perhaps, that we've found is a Revelation song, uh, which might be familiar to many of you. She is also uh, involved with a ministry called New Nation Music, which is a ministry dedicated to strengthening, equipping, and encouraging the bride of Christ towards a complete devotion to Christ and his work. Uh, Jenny, welcome to Table Scraps. Good morning. Hi, Pastor Brian. Great to have you with us. I, let's. I want to start with a little bit about your music and how you write your songs. Could you walk us through the process of, of what it's like to, to write a praise song? Sure. Um, for me personally, I'm I'm pretty doggone bone about message, and that's usually where I start. And I think that comes from uh, just having a teacher heart and, and being a teacher. Um, over the years, when I would want to communicate a message, that would be my primary means. And so I would write songs for whoever was in my sphere of influence, as the Lord would give me encouragement for them. So I would write individual songs for individual people. And that was just an act of obedience and love. That's worship at the heart. And um, writing for the bride's no different. When I write for her, I write for her as a total person. Uh, She's five generations old on the earth, and she spans every denomination from Church of Christ to Catholic to Assemblies of God to Baptist, Lutheran, and um, I try to consider all of that and write specifically what God's asking me to write. And I come up with that instead of loving her, loving him, praying for her, and loving her voice. Um, I really love her voice, and I want to write music for her that is able to give her an unencumbered vision of Christ. Where, where do you find so that, the message? Say it again. Oh, where do you find the message? You, I mean, this is fantastic that you you have the message and you're writing the song to deliver that message. Where do you um, where do you go to find that message? Well, you know, if if you'll just look, if you'll treat the bride like you would treat any person that you love and serve, then it's pretty clear. If she's afraid, you know, let's say nine eleven's happened or whatever's happened. The economy is getting to her, and you can tell, because in your services she brings in the same concerns that any single person would bring in, you know, as a collective whole. And uh, the word says, perfect love casts out fear. 
so I reference that a lot just as I begin to write. What is she afraid of? How can I give a, a vision of Christ that will magnify him over every other petty thing? And so the other thing that I'm really purposeful about is unpacking words. For a long time we've said, you know, God, you're awesome. God, you're, you're, uh, you're so wonderful. But what does that mean? Why is he awesome? I'm trying to paint why he's awesome so she can get a really fresh view of him. Because once you see him, everything else becomes really small in comparison. He's all you need to see. I've noticed that's a theme in a lot of worship songs, a seeing Christ. And and I've, um, and I've been thinking about that a little bit, but tell me what that means to see, to see Jesus. Well, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's what some people would assume. You know, it's not literally the person of Jesus Christ, at least not for me, for some it is, um, in, in a bodily form. That's, that's not what I mean. It's just his attributes and his nature and his character, his spirit, who he is. Um, and so, for example, if I know that the bride is concerned about the economy and her provision and perhaps hasn't learned yet that he is exactly who he says he is, she hasn't learned yet that he is Jehovah Jireh, water from a rock, bread from heaven. Then I want to cast out fear and give her courage to approach um, the trials that she's facing. And so, like recently, I wrote a wrote a song. The, the chorus is, "You're my shepherd in the wilderness. Whom shall I fear? You're the God who goes before me, my rock and my shield. In troubled times, you will provide. I shall not want. You are, you are my God." You know, in the in the pulling from. Um, Psalm 23 again, though I walk through the shadow of death, I will magnify and glorify you with every breath. Though the wicked stand against me, I will follow as you lead. You are the truth and way, the lamp unto my feet. And that's, that's a different kind of a worship song. It's not a prayer. It's definitely spelling out his attributes, but it's also giving her a courage to stand there and look at what she's facing and walk through it. Well, this is enough. This next question is going to have a lot to do with it, that what you just said. Um, not necessarily your own songs, but just to uh, to to consider worship songs in general. What are the marks that you look for in a good worship song? Mm. I look for really strong theology. Um, I look for. I'm going to use the word altars. Um, desert songs, fabulous song. Do you know that one? Um, no. Desert song. Desert I, I song. might. Uh, I might be, but mm-hmm. I'm, I can't. I can't recall. Hill songs did it. Brooke Fraser, fantastic song. It it gives people again the courage to face what they're coming up against, and clearly puts the burden for everything that would be needed on God's shoulders, and clearly paints that He's big enough to carry every bit of it, and that He's Victor. You know, love that song. Um, I love songs that don't have a whole lot of I, me, me in it from a, from a feeling standpoint. I don't prefer to sing other people's sentiments. I want to sing the Word of God or truths in the Word of God. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, certainly. And so that's does. what I look for. I love meter, rhyme, and melody, and I realize that in today's culture, it's not uh, as popular to, 
to rhyme. Unrhyming is a really popular thing, which is cool, but as a teacher, there's nothing like meter, melody, and rhyme to permanently write words on a, on a heart. And so if you're about equipping the bride, you want to make sure that it has a strong, strong, memorable melody, meter, and rhyme that will literally stick with her because you want the words sticking with her. Sure. Now, moving from, moving from the songs to the act, to the act of worship itself, I, I suppose, uh, what's the role of a of a worship leader? I, and I don't know, uh, Jenny, if you if you lead worship in a local congregation or not. If uh, that's one of the things that you do, but um, I but lead tell worship at my church as a volunteer um, several Sundays a year, and I don't I don't want to be a full time worship leader in a paid position. I do love to travel and see the totality of the bride, so I love going into all the churches. And my church sends me. They're precious. They really cover me and send me. So, yes, I lead worship in answer to your question. Okay, and, and what's the role of a worship leader? What do you, what's, the, what's the goals when you stand up there? What are you getting after? When I'm in front of God's people, what I'm after is an unencumbered connection between the bride and Jesus Christ. Like, for example, a a uh, maid of honor at a wedding. Um, she would never want to upstage the bride. She would want to see to it that there's a flawless meeting and union. Uh, she would want to see to it that the bride never even has to take her eyes off of her bridegroom, that she would never be self-conscious. Um, so I really, really want to see them connect with each other. What's that connection like? I also want to cast out fear. Sorry, I, I talked right over you. Uh, to cast out fear. Yes, please. Say it again? Oh, I, I think I have a little delay. Evan, I do, can you tell that? Is that what's happening here? Uh, I don't know. I'll look into it. Okay. Uh, I, sorry, I think I have a little delay, so I spoke over you. So you said an unencumbered connection between Christ. I want to ask you about that, but then you said the second point was um, to uh, casting out fear. Yeah. Um, perfect love casts out fear. So... I really, you know, I, I want to get to the root of what she's afraid of and overcome it with the Word of God. So I'm, I'm always looking in my songs, or what I would say between songs, to remove whatever obstacles are there what, and what help about her to the, see Him. What about this connection that you're talking about? What does the connection between Christ and His Church look like? In other words, how, do you, how does a person know that 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 unencumbered connection has has happened or, or what does it involve hmm. that's an interesting question i mean i think it's as simple as knowing whether or not your father has just given you a hug um i know when i've been hugged by my dad or my husband i know when i've i know when i've seen their face i know when they've spoken to me and again it's not as tangible as that because we're talking about um, God that we do not see with our physical eyes or hear with our physical ears. We see him with the eyes of our spirit and hear him in, in our spirit. But you know, when you when you heard from God, you I think you know. Everything in you rises to the sound of him. And when his peace comes, you know it's his peace. There's There's no other, there's no other thing like God's peace that can put everything back into perspective and everything back into its place and lift you up onto the waters of trial to walk on them with them. God's peace does that. 
you might have already answered this next question uh, with what you said before, but just to kind of get to the very heart of things, what is worship? I believe it's consecration and obedience. And just, I think, time. um, Quality time with God, where you're not coming with your own agenda to get something from Him, but you're coming as His friend and asking Him what's on His heart. I want to be your friend, God. What's on your mind today? What can I do for you today? Who could I serve today in your name? Obedience and love. So, so the, uh, the surrender of ourselves, if I can put words here, the surrender of ourselves to the Lord's to the Lord's will to uh, to love yes, Him and, and our neighbors. Yes, and that doesn't happen just in the Sunday morning worship service. That's a lifestyle. Yeah. Well, uh, what what's what's different? And so here's a uh, an interesting question. I don't have this one here, but what's different between the kind of our, the consecrating of ourselves to the Lord's service, which we do daily, uh, versus what happens on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning, you know, everybody's going to have really different answers for this, but it is when the bride comes together, the fullness of Christ, and, and you know, as we meet together, we experience so many facets of Him if we're in relationship with each other. And in relationship with Him... Um, and where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there. We know this. That there's a there's a deference that occurs in the family of God when you're all together. Um, like a, like at a family reunion, for example. There's a collective table of the Lord set. When you're alone, you can listen to whatever you want, sing whatever you want, pray whatever you want. When you're together, there's a deference that occurs. And... I think it's a positive thing in that it gets to also your your um, flesh flesh man a little bit, especially in this culture when we've got a real consumer driven um, paradigm right now. If mm-hmm. I can if I can say it that way, oh sure. You've got people coming to church, and there's kind of a laundry list about you know what way the church can serve you when you come in, right? Um, you're never going to find a place that does everything exactly the way you want and serves the meal exactly the way you like it each time, playing the exact right music at the exact moment you're feeling it. You know what I mean? You're never going to find that. And a lot of times I think uh, with the consumer mentality, we, we have that in our hearts a little bit. And in a church service where there's people, there's deference. You allow for songs you don't prefer to be in there because you know that they're feeding another person or for the sermon that was just preached that really didn't feel like it was for you to be had because you know it was for another person and you participate by sometimes bringing words for other people of encouragement and you walking away feeling like you know nobody really talked to me today but I'm going to serve I think all of those are good and then also learning to receive from each other I think when we come together it's like a family reunion it's God's it's just God's family Sure. I, sure. That might be really simplistic, but I speak as the heart of with the heart of a mom, and I, that's why I love yeah. coming together on Sunday mornings. No, that's very helpful. I'm a self- you you you've talked a lot about generations. I mean, you just mentioned it there too, and this idea that the church is five generations. And and I notice in your ministry you have this 
cross-generational thing. So I suspect that you've thought a lot about how worship has changed and even perhaps set generations against one another, and you're you're working against that. Well, could you talk a little bit about how the I mean, worship and the content and style and all of this has changed over the past uh, 50, 100 years or so, uh, and, and what's been good and what's been bad and, and what those changes have meant? There has been a lot of changes, and yes, I do have a very... Um, passionate heart about bringing the whole family of God together, all the generations. Um, music is an incredible uniting force, but it's also divisive. And we've seen church cultures, entire church bodies split over over music. And music, again, is not worship. It is a, it is as important as a side dish on a table. When I talk about it in terms of our music portion of our service. Okay, I'm not talking about obedience and a heart set on God. I want to differentiate worship from music. Um, music has divided. Um, with that said, we've got a unique opportunity on the earth right now. In the 80s, for example, there's no way that my grandparents would have liked the music that I liked listening to as a teenager. There's just no way. You remember that? Yeah, I remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the same was true in the in the 50s, 60s, 70s. It was very divisive. Currently now, if you'll take a really good look at the at the table spread musically, what's popular now all over again is the music that was popular in the big band era, um, in the 60s for sure, 70s, 80s, all over again. If you'll look at what's being said, a ton of folk music is popular. A lot of a lot of music in the indie scene sounds like a, a smorgasbord of marching band meets big band meets folk meets pop meets disco. It's just bizarre, a bizarre smorgasbord of sound, and it's awesome. Well, if you look at the oldest people now that we have, they experienced all that music. They're familiar with all of it. It's all sentimental to them and reminiscent of something. There's a unique opportunity now to make a sound together that we can all enjoy. And as writers and as worship leaders, I think we should seize that opportunity and really bring a myriad of sound into our services now because we can. I don't know when it happened, but at some point along the way, in recent years, there is a definite sound that is a Christian music sound. And um, I don't know that it needs to be so. There's too many different personalities in the body of Christ, each reflecting his personality and character and nature. I, I noticed that's, that same thing, too, Ginny, and I'm trying to put my finger on it. It seemed like at first that when, I mean, when, when um, the contemporary worship was really starting, there was a, there was kind of a drive to be uh, secular, to be more like the radio that's, the, the music heard on the radio, to be, to be more uh, easy for people to access, so you had accessibility and entertainment issues, things like this, but it seemed like there was a point where it switched and the contemporary Christian worship music became its own genre. It wasn't trying to sound like what was going on outside uh, the church. It was. It had its own, like you said, its own feel, its own sound. Is that? Am I right about? It? Is it's that what true. you're talking about? It's true. It's become. It's. It has become its own genre, and it has a very distinctive sound. And you can be flipping through the radio, 
and you will know when you've landed on a Christian station without actually having heard the words yet, by the way it sounds. Yeah, what, what is going on there? I, I mean, that seems kind of funny to me, but... I find it interesting. I do find it interesting. Um, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I am saying that I would personally love to see the table expanded and room-made. You know, I think sometimes, um, sometimes, in Christendom, we will hear what's popular in the secular world. We'll go, oh, we can do music like that, and we can create an alternative. That's a nice idea, and it's a, it's a great idea, and an alternative is, a, is, is great. But it's, in a way, like serving up... Um, well, if you're going to go to a if you're going to go to a covered dish at a lady's house, and she's serving the main dish, you're going to ask her what she's serving, right? Mm-hmm. And if she's serving broccoli casserole, you're not going to bring broccoli as a side dish. Mm-hmm. You're going to bring something unique to the table that's going to complement the meal, that's going to be nutritional, that you can you can do well out of your own storehouse. Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great thing. I feel Everyone like if we comes. Approach- yeah, so everyone right. comes everyone, and there's the 50 bro- broccoli casseroles or something. That's just I don't, yeah, terrible. And I, I, so it's it's like a nightmare. funny looking at what exists <laughs> as, the, as the standard or the bullseye to shoot for. That's kind of a funny, funny way to, I think it's kind of funny for me. I just always look at what's missing. I just do. What does she need? I always look at what does she need. If you look at what she needs, you're not going to go for the things she already has. That's right. Well, we really, Jenny, appreciate your time. I, we wanted to play one, uh, before we hear about your project, we wanted to play one game of uh, Stump the Pastor Bible Bee. Uh, the way this works is um, <laughs> uh, you, you can t- t- say your, your favorite Bible verse or, or your favorite obscure Bible verse that has to do with worship, and then I try to guess the, the book of the Bible that it comes from. And, and 500 Table Talk radio points are on the line here, so if I miss it, those points are yours. Um, and, if, uh, and if I get it right, I'll get the points, so... Okay, well, here it is. All right. Oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by until your servant has had opportunity to refresh your heart. Oh, boy. Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by until... And how did the last part go? Until your servant has had opportunity to refresh your heart. To your servant. Now, I think the, the man in the Bible who is most often identified as the servant of the Lord, is Moses. You have Abraham, the friend of the Lord, Moses, the servant of the Lord. I, um, but this doesn't, it doesn't sound like Moses to me. This sounds like maybe something that, um, that David would pray or even one of the prophets. Could I? Oh, man. Um this is a I can back one. up a little bit and give it a little more context. Oh, you're going to help me? Yeah, that'd be great. Give uh-huh. me... <laughs> uh, actually, I'm going to read forward. Oh, and I'm going to read a different translation. This is I'm going to read out of the ESV. Okay. Oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that, oh. you may pass on. Oh, I got it now. So this is Abraham uh, when he receives the Lord and his two angels uh, on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. If I'm right, this is the hospitality that the Lord is offering, or that Abraham is offering to the Lord from Genesis. Is that right? 
correct. Genesis, oh. <laughs> correct. And it's Genesis eight. It's Genesis eighteen. That's, and I love it out of the Lord, New King James specifically. That's that is wonderful. That's what, and this is where the Lord then promises the, this gives the seed promise, and Sarah laughs and uh, and says she actually didn't it's lie. it's um it's after yeah that's right that's right. But the part that strikes me about it is that God was actually on His way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He was on his way to do this thing. Yeah. And he stops off because he knows there's this servant there that will actually take the time to refresh his heart. Oh, that's great. That, uh, that, and thank you for that. Now, you have, um, t- tell us a little bit, Jenny, about New Nation music. All right. Um, it's, it's a multifold ministry, and it's, it's you know, ministry is kind of a, a big word for just something I naturally do as a mom and a teacher. I've always gathered around me these kids and this talent that I just really believe in and have wanted to invest in them and see uh, what they, I want to see their callings come into fruition. I want to help train them for it. I love them. Well, I carry these people that I love and believe in into small churches and big ones too, but I love going into the smaller churches that don't often have refreshment coming through. And um, we bring uh, new songs and write doctrine on our heart and hopefully refresh the staff there and uh, work with their worship teams, whatever it is that they need. Hold worship uh, events for the community um, and just try to help grow her and equip her. So that's thank what we you. do. We go into every denomination. Well, th- thank you, Jenny, for that and for your time and uh and for and for being with us here on on table scraps and uh, and for all you listeners, thanks for listening and we're delighted to have you. Uh, tune in next time to enjoy Table Talk Radio and Table Scraps as well. <laughs>